If you are enjoying this podcast, why not try Baker Street 2033 by the same author, a metaphysical mystery involving Sherlock Holmes, virtual reality, and fictional objects. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. The next day I woke up early. Maybe it was the time difference on the bed. I'd known concrete floors that were cozier. One look at my face and the landlady at the flop house knew better than to make small talk. She busted my gut with bacon and eggs and coffee so weak I felt like charging it with fraud. I headed to Sraffa's for a proper wake-up call and then took up my usual post outside the college where the fried breakfast sat like a bowling ball in my stomach. This country... It was 10.30 and there'd been no sign of Godwin. And now I was all out of smokes. A couple of fresh-faced eggheads came into earshot as they walked past. Who have you got now? That Austrian fella. Heard he's a bit of a tyrant, what? Oh, he'll tear a strip of you all right, if you're late. Probably his army discipline. He was at the front for the Austro-Hungarians during the Great War. Won a medal for valour, they say. Anyway, he's an odd fish, all right, but jolly smart. We'd better make a dash for it if we don't want to catch hell. I hot-footed it after them inside the college. We passed through a couple of courtyards. They were like time capsules from the Middle Ages. Perfect quadrants of grass manicured to perfection by an army of mowers. The boys I'd been following were soon swamped by other eggheads piling into a corridor and then up a stairwell. The voices around me were plumb with old money. I felt like a duck out of water, about to get shot, plucked and served up a la orange. They all seemed to know the drill. Pick up a deck chair from outside, take it in and sit down. I didn't bother with the chair, but squeezed into a corner and stood. I got some fishy looks, but I was used to that by now. I just glared right back and the looks disappeared. Godred was stood at the front of the irregular rows of deck chairs, his rooms as it turned out, and the lecture, if that's what the hell it was supposed to be, was already underway. He was pacing up and down, posing himself questions. Suppose I said that I know that's a tree. What do I mean by know here? How do I know? It was like some kind of crazy vaudeville act. It reminded me of the wackos I'd seen at Penhurst. Real schizoid stuff. When he couldn't answer the question, he'd go even more nuts. I'm so bloody stupid today. Think, damn it. Here was a wasp I used to trap inside a jam jar as a kid, except he was trapping himself inside questions, buzzing uselessly against their walls. It was then that I saw her in the front row, cigarette on the go, candy red heels dangling off one foot. It was Lan. How had I missed her? She smiled at the philosopher, occasionally blowing smoke his way. He pretended he hadn't seen her, just kept up with his schizophrenic routine. He should have brought the act to Broadway. He would have made a killing. Eventually, the show was over. He slumped into a deck chair, finally defeated by the self-interrogation. The eggheads saw this as their cue to leave. They all spilled out the room, taking their deck chairs as they went. Lan wriggled out with them in the hubbub, her entertainment over for the day. I stayed behind on a whim. Godwit didn't notice me. 
He was up out of the chair now, and busy throwing damp tea leaves all over the wooden floor, another vaudeville act even crazier than the first. He churned away to himself as he scattered them. Legs and mines, all clogged up with dirt. Mine is no better these days. I let him rattle on, hoping for something useful. When I didn't get it, I stepped in. A lot of folks round here seem to think you're a genius, sir. Are you a genius, Mr. Godwit? He looked up briefly and carried on with the tea leaves. Oh, hello again. Had enough of land's bloody like it, eh? Genius, you say? Me? What do you think? Well, I couldn't understand the questions you asked. He smiled at that. You could say, genius is courage in one's talent. Are you a visiting scholar? Oh, me? No, I said laughing. I ain't got the brains for that. I'm just a tourist. I got family from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Figured it was time to visit the motherland. I could play dumb all day long if I needed to. As my ex-wife used to say, I didn't even have to try that hard. What's the American Cambridge like? It was my opportunity to clock a reaction. It's pretty rural. Nothing but ducks and rabbits round about. His eyebrows shot up. That hit a nerve. And then, like every guilty man I ever saw, he looked towards where his loot was stashed. In this case, a desk in the corner. On it was a white porcelain figurine with a beady black eye. It looked like a duck. No, a rabbit. No, uh, it was the duck rabbit. It had to be. Finally, something solid to cling to in this case. The duck rabbit had been sat on his desk the whole time. The questions came thick and fast. Where had he got it? Why was it so damn important? Was it valuable? Is this what the client was really after? Should I add it to my report? I was about to steer the conversation towards the duck rabbit on the desk, but before I could, there was a knock on the door. Excuse me, Professor Godwit. It was English mustard looking more cherubic than ever. I was wondering if you had another moment. From the smile dancing across Godwit's lips, he seemed to have plenty. His eyes were lit up like Times Square. He'd forgotten my presence in an instant. I felt like that damn rhinoceros. Of course, come in. He practically roared it out. I said good day to a pair of deaf ears and left slow enough to catch any loose juice from the pair of them, but the door closed on my heels and I caught nothing. Tenpins was a regular visitor over the coming days, and the two became inseparable. Best buddies. They went out and bought furniture together for Godwit's rooms. On the rare times he found something that satisfied him. Shopped for new threads, too. They would do philosophy in his rooms. I guessed it wasn't always the platonic kind. Those kind of antics were standard operating procedure with the highfalutin crowd. Kind of reminded me of the time I visited Frisco. I'd also hear him performing songs in a local pub called The Man Loaded with Mischief. Tempins on the Ivories, Godwit Whistling Leader by Schubert. They were pretty good. If the lecture racket ever dried up, the pair could take this show on the road. I got hold of an LP of some of the songs. I figured it might help attune my mind to Godwit, to use the lingo I was surrounded by here. The leader was sung by an English lass called Kathleen Ferry. 
I sweet-talked my way into using the landlady's record player. Ferrier was as easy on the ear as she was on the eye. Did it get me any closer to understanding guardweird or tampins? Not an inch. Nor did it bring clarity to the dug rabbit. By my reckoning, all it did was ensure that the landlady would expect more than sweet words the next time I spun a disc. A week had now passed and it was time for my first dead drop. Over a plate of dead pigs and congealing eggs, I wondered what I had to say and who the hell I would be saying it to. Adding spice to the situation, I think the landlady was getting sweet on me. Between cigarettes and gruesome slips of tea, she engaged in the kind of small talk that was practically indecent. It was like an Italian suppository, full of innuendo. I love a bit of sausage me, followed by histrionic winks. What was worse, I was bored enough to even think about indulging her. I spent the rest of the morning in my room turning the scribble in my notebook into something more respectable on a portable Olivetti. It didn't amount to much. Times and dates of his movements, who he'd met and where, snippets of conversations. But it had to be better than nothing. My gut told me to keep shtum about the porcelain duck rabbit. I stuck it in an envelope and headed out to the dead letterbox. The dead drop's instructions were about the only thing that was clear in this case. St. Giles Cemetery of Huntington Road every Monday by 3pm. I was to look for a tombstone that was a simple slab of stone laid flat on the ground, with six pennies stacked up on the top right corner of it. The envelope with the report in it had to be tucked into some ivy and pine needles, and a penny removed from the pile. It was cloak and dagger stuff. Spycraft. I didn't like it one bit. I made the drop at 2.55. I knew better than to hang around and wait to see who showed up. They probably had peepers on me the whole time. The cemetery had yew trees and gravestones aplenty with hedges and railings all around it. I'd have been spotted if I'd tried. I might be rusty, but I was no rookie. The next morning over breakfast, I heard the landlady sigh. I expected more lamentations on the housewife cross, the usual litany of overworked and underloved, with a subtext in type 72 font telling me to do something about one or the other. Another sigh and I had no choice but to take the bait. I still needed that gramophone. What gives? I asked, my teeth cracking through bacon that kept reminding me why Limey's had such rotten teeth. Ah, a story in the paper. It's terribly sad, Local lad killed in a plane crash. You're only 26. He looks like such a lovely handsome. Her voice trailed off. God only knows what kind of terminally scuppered fantasies were playing out in her mind. My gut was less reliable than ever with all the grease it was processing, but it gave me a twinge all the same. I asked to have a peep. The headline read, Bright Mathematician Killed in Aeroplane Tragedy. There was a photo in black and white. I almost did a double take. It was ten pins. Dedos were thin on the ground. The plane had come apart mid-air into five sections. Nobody had been found. It sounded suspicious as hell. Could it have had something to do with Godwit? Or my client? I was starting to think that damn Doug Rapid was cursed. I jotted down the details in my notebook, hoping for inspiration. None came. End Notes Penhurst is a psychiatric hospital in Penhurst, Pennsylvania. It was originally known as the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic and has garnered a reputation for the cruel abuse meted out to its patients. The asylum was finally shut down in December 1987. How Wittgenstein knew of the hospital is still unclear. 
It may have been mentioned in a story in a copy of Street and Smith. During the First World War, Pinson became a test pilot and was killed in a flying accident in May 1918. The story is accurate here. The plane broke up into five sections and his body was never recovered. Wittgenstein was in Austria when he received news of Pinson's death in a letter written from his mother. It came as a tremendous blow to him and he wrote back describing David as my first and my only friend. Writing to Russell in 1920, he still felt the loss. Every day I think of Pinsent. He took half my life away with him. His only published work, The Tractatus, is dedicated to Pinsent. Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir will return in Episode 6, The Trail Went Cold, Days Slid Into Weeks. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to consider others by the same writer and producer, such as Baker Street 2033 and Modern Gothic. All are available from the usual podcast outlets. You could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.